Hello, Amazon sellers. So what about this whole intellectual property thing? Before all the price gouging stuff started going down, IP was probably the top issue that we were getting phone calls and concerns about, um, especially trademark issues, because as y'all know, they can be used for good or for evil at Amazon. So today I am super excited to have a guest with me. It is Preston Frischnecht. Hi, Preston. Hi, Leslie. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for the chance. I love talking with you. So Preston is with Brand Registry Trademark, which is a law firm, and they specialize, obviously, in uh, trademark issues. Um, and so he has a lot of great insights he's going to offer us about how, first we're gonna talk some about people who are private label sellers and brand owners and how they need to deal with trademark issues on the platform. Then we're gonna flip over to the other side and talk a little about third-party sellers who get hit with these complaints. And there's some interesting crossover between what Preston does and what we do at Riverbend. So to start out, Preston, talk a little um, to our audience about um, brand owners and why it is so important that they get a trademark for their brand. So I think it's important to have a trademark registration and, and protect your brand for lots of different reasons. Some of them are, are really, um, they make a lot of sense and they're very narrow in perspective, such as getting on the Amazon brand registry. You know, a lot of sellers on Amazon want the enhanced brand content and you can only get that with a registered trademark. So a short-term view, um, that's a huge benefit. Looking longer term, you know, most of the value in companies of any size comes from their intangible assets. So your, your brands and your intellectual property and those types of things can be worth even more than the inventory that's sitting in your warehouses if you treat things properly. And um, you can use those tools not only to manage competition, but also to increase the bottom line value of your business. So if you ever get in a position where you want to sell it or something like that, um, and an appraiser can actually come in and independently appraise these assets that you've protected, um, such as your brand, and, and that can be a, a real value to businesses in the long term. Well, and you mentioned brand registry. I think a lot of people still don't understand that the first step to getting brand registry, you have to have the trademark and not just have filed for it, but it has to have gone all the way to completion. So talk a little about the time frame. How long does that take? Right. There's there's a couple different vehicles to go about trying to get a trademark registration, but normally the process takes between six and eight months and it can vary. Um, but you know what I emphasize to a lot of the people that are selling on Amazon is to do it right out of the gate because I've had a lot of people who, whether they've tried to do it themselves or they haven't understood the process completely, they'll reach that six or eight month mark where you know they, they should have had a trademark registration and instead they find out, oh my gosh, I've got to redo this because of you know, some reason that, that something's gone wrong. Right. And it's it's not it seems like it should be a simple process, but you're also relying on government agencies and timelines and using an outside attorney. So as another thing, I've had clients who did not realize that you do have to actually have an attorney involved in the process. And it helps if they actually understand how Amazon works, because there's information passed between the attorney 
and Amazon directly that cannot go through the seller. Can you can you talk about that process a little bit? Yeah, as far as the process of using an attorney, there are a lot of good resources on the USPTO website that explain why hire an attorney. I mean, the USPTO strongly recommends uh, that you hire a licensed trademark attorney to help out with this process because it is a legal process. It's like this, you know, mini mini lawsuit kind of a thing where you're trying to protect your brand and you've got somebody at the government agency who's examining it against lots of different legal criteria and some of it can be complicated. And so that's why you would use an attorney. Um, and statistics show, you know, there've actually been a lot of studies. Stanford did a study that showed that people who try to get a trademark registration on their, on their own have something like a less than 50% likelihood of getting it. So, so people get them. It's just that it's hard when it's a roll of the dice, you know, and you're sort of trying to establish your business and get on the brand registry. Um, and that likelihood goes significantly up uh, with an expert that knows what they're doing. But you're right on the back end, um, getting on the Amazon brand registry, you know, they reach out when you're doing your application for the brand registry and contact the attorney um, for the registration. And that's part of the process of enrolling. Right. And, you know, I'm I'm really hearing what you're saying about the timeline, because if you do it yourself and you do it incorrectly and then the trademark office informs you of that and you're already four or five months in. Right. <laughs> so then you start over again. You could be easily talking about a year before you're finished with the process. And in the meantime, you've had a product. A lot of our sellers would have a product that's actually already up on Amazon selling and has had a lot of opportunity for hijackers to jump onto their listing and you can always do the whole test by thing and report a violation. And there, there are ways to get hijackers off of your listings that don't involve brand registry. But when you have brand registry, Oh my goodness, it's so much easier. Yeah. It, it's a pretty powerful tool. And honestly, you know, what I, what I find is that the reason why people try to do it themselves is because if you use a regular attorney, it's, it's just too expensive for a lot of people. You know, I think on average it costs $2,000 to get that process going with an attorney in this country. And, you know, Amazon has this IP accelerator program that they've launched and it's actually more expensive. It's 2,400 bucks to do a comprehensive search and have one of their IP accelerators file for you. So, you know, what we've tried to do is, is bridge the gap between those barriers that cause people to try to file the their trademark applications on their own um, by lowering the price. And, and so what we do is a comprehensive um, trademark clearance search and application for about $800. And while that might still be a little bit of money for somebody, it's really worth doing it right the first time because um, as you mentioned, you've, you know, if you're doing this and you're a year behind, it's not just the problems on Amazon, but it's also the fact that we live in a first to file system. And so if somebody files a correct application over yours, um, you know, it may be that somebody ends up with your brand over that course of a year and um, you can't get it back easily, at least um, without significant effort and expense. Well, and really, so $800, if you're looking at time, uh, 
I always think of everything in terms of time, because for example, um, we help clients by monitoring their account. When they have a problem with Amazon, we will do the ASIN reinstatement for them instead of them doing it. And right. a lot of the reasoning, or we answer their customer service messages and I will tell them, you know, if you go out and you sign one good deal, you know, you find one more supplier, one good product you've paid for us. And then that money's going to keep flowing over time also. And so really that's a value price. And I understand, you know, when you're talking about thousands and someone's also put in all the R and D and they've produced product that I haven't had a return, that's problematic. But if you can keep it at that price, my goodness, just for the time saved, I would be all in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I understand because I'm a do it yourself kind of guy. I like to learn and do things on my own, but I think all of us understand those projects that we didn't know what we didn't know when we get right. into them. And that's the biggest thing that I find when I talk to people, DIYers sort of on the back end when things have gone wrong, you know, they sort of come to me with something completely on fire and they're like, I had no idea that, you know, it could go wrong these eight different ways. I just thought it was an application that you filled out and, and filed. And that's sort of the deceptive ease of, of trademark application is that the forms are fairly easy, um, you know, to fill out the forms and do that kind of stuff. Um, but that's probably the least um, important part of all of the process of getting a trademark registration and really the most value that that I think that we add is the analysis that we do of the brand landscape to make sure that what you're launching as far as a brand is in safe waters and it's not being launched into some totally hostile environment that nobody looked before they went into. Hostile environment is a really good phrase because that is something I think everyone on Amazon understands. It's just like there are certain brands that it's not worth it to try and sell if you're someone who does wholesale or arbitrage because there are brands that are incredibly hostile. And I'm sure it's the same way in intellectual property that there are certain brands that if you're just too close, even if you're trying to trademark something that really technically should be okay, but you're kind of close and they're very hostile, you need someone to tell you this really isn't worth it, man, because these I know who these people are and they're sharks. Right. Yeah, you, you nailed that one. I think the, one of the biggest things that um, learning to do this on your own, one of the biggest barriers, I think, to doing it is to under, to identify and understand the risks that you're facing. Because one of the examples I use, you know, a lot of people are very familiar with getting a URL, a domain name for their website. That's pretty mm -hmm. straightforward. You know, you go on GoDaddy and you type it in. And if it's available, you buy it for 10 bucks. And so I think a lot of people have that type of mentality when they approach trademark registration. They think, well, I'm just going to go. And if I see that it's available, I'm going to apply for it. Or maybe they don't even look and just apply for it. And the problem is with trademarks, you're not only looking at something that's identical um, or even identical products. You're looking for things that are similar. And so it's a really fuzzy sort of, it's a mix of art and science. You need to try to figure out you know, what is similar enough that it would constitute a threat? And as part of that, you do, at least I, also look at sort of the psyche behind what the potential obstacles are. If there are competitors out there in the market and they're highly litigious, then you need to know if you're moving forward with a brand that's going to raise their hackles 
that, you know, you need to be prepared for that and ready for it. And if you're not, then you might be best served by pivoting towards a somewhat different brand so that you're not, you know, caught in some sort of a fight with somebody that's much bigger than you. Right. Because sometimes it's worth dying on that hill if there's a reason for really caring about a particular name or mark. But other times it's really not. I mean, why not just do something different? But if no one warns you, then oopsie, walking right, right into that fire ant mound. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay, so Lauren is asking a super awesome question. She is asking, would you recommend filing brand level trademarks at a company's inception or wait for some modest proof of concept? So I think it's always good to talk to somebody early on. Really, I don't think it's, I don't think you could be too early as far as talking to a trademark attorney. Um, I always appreciate it when people come to me early because if they're so early in the process that they're actually picking the name, the brand, then I can often give them guidelines that can give them a greater chance that they'll pick something that is protectable. Um, that said, a lot of times um, people don't come to me until they've actually settled on something or they're actually selling, um, you know, they're on the market and they're selling a product. And, um, you know, I, I help people at all stages. It's just easier when you're talking to people on the front end because then they can get an understanding of the types of marks that are protectable and the types of marks that there's not much you can do. I think the worst case scenarios are businesses that I talk to who, they didn't look or evaluate any of the intellectual property stuff early on, um, but they've been successful. You know what what they wanted to have happen has happened. They now have good cash flow coming in, but it's too late. You can't go back in time and protect things when other people have gotten in line ahead of you. Or in some cases, for patents, I'm also a registered patent attorney, so I help companies with that. Um, there are timelines that people aren't aware of. If their product's been on the market for longer than a year, you lose your right to patent it. And so um, I always think it's better to talk to someone earlier, especially if it's like a free consultation kind of thing. You know, what's the harm of, of talking to somebody and understanding your options? You don't lose money on that. Right. Someone who could point out the problems in advance and at least have, because it's a way of thinking and you know, that's that's why laws is a, a specialized field, just like what we do is kind of a specialized field. You have to learn the thought processes. Um, it's not that our clients aren't extremely intelligent people who can't do things themselves. It's the thought processes behind it that are so hard to learn. It takes a really long time. Right. Yeah. And, and more than that, I think, you know, anybody that's succeeded in business, you know, you go you go fast alone, but you go far with others. Right. Is that the saying? And I think um, it's really important for businesses to build the right team around them. Just because one person's only one person, you can only focus on, really focus on one thing at a time. And so um, having a team of specialists in different areas, I think that's really useful. Well, and let's face it, okay, entrepreneurs out there, all you entrepreneurs, and you know who I'm talking about, risk management is not your thing. <laughs> it's seriously not your thing. It is not what you like. It is not what you enjoy. You like thinking about the opportunity. But unfortunately, that's why you have attorneys, accountants, and people like me, <laughs> because we are all about the risk management to keep you out of trouble in the long term. And uh, since you don't like risk management because you like doing the risky things, just outsource that. 
to, to <laughs> yes. us. <laughs> yes, that's a great way to think about it. And if you don't like thinking about it that way, you know, I've worked with enough entrepreneurs to know. I mean, I look at a lot of intellectual property as, you know, and I say this over and over again that it's competition management. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you like that sort of risk taking and being on the offensive and being assertive, these tools are not just for defense. I mean, these are the types of things that you wield against other people. You know, intellectual property can be a shield to protect you, but it's also a sword that you can wield to gain market share and, and manage your competitors. Okay, so let's talk a lot a little bit about that on Amazon, um, because on Amazon you've got your trademark, your your in brand registry. So um, how are we controlling the bad actors once we've gotten that into place? Lots of times, um, the best relationships that I have with businesses are the businesses that just bring problems to me, and it may not even be you know something that they've identified as an intellectual property problem. An example of that is recently, you know, somebody came to me and said, man, we've just got this one competitor that's really, you know, eating our lunch on Amazon. Is there anything we can do? And, you know, I sort of comb through everything um, and see, are there any intellectual property hooks that we can use to manage this competitor? And, you know, in this particular example, we were able to order product and see that the owner's manual was using some of the photographs that were taken by the, the seller that I was representing. And so all of a sudden, you've got a copyright infringement complaint. And it's something that really wasn't even identified. I mean, it's great if, if sellers can identify, you know, legal violations on their own. That's that's kind of straightforward. We can talk through those things. But again, going back to that, it's worth talking to somebody. You know, if you have a problem, it's worth talking to somebody. And you might be talking to different somebodies. You know, you might have a list of people to, to go through and one of those people might be your intellectual property attorney to see if there's anything um, that, you know, because really, if you want to look at it, what this company is doing is they're using some dishonest means to compete. Mm -hmm. And um, right. you don't know exactly why it is they're succeeding. Um, but I'm of the opinion that, you know, these laws exist for a reason. And, you know, there's two sides to them. And if somebody's on the wrong side, then you use it against them because they're being unfair. It's unfair competition. Okay, y'all, this happens more than you think it does, this owner's manual thing. It sounds like. So, so Preston told you that story and you're thinking, wow, someone was really dumb to do that. I have had three clients, same story, um, that they had patent issues um, with a, a competing product. All of them were knockoffs out of China. Um, two cases, we believe that the factory that my clients were using sold the mold to someone else, which happens a lot over there. Um, sold the mold to another factory and they advertised it and sold this to someone on Alibaba, right? And because, so what happens sometimes over there is they know that their manual is not going to sound like it's American English. So they will buy the product they're knocking off and they will copy the manual so it sounds like American English and they will mm -hmm. copy the photos and everything. So this is, if you have a product that you're having knockoffs, and especially if you see that they're coming from China, totally recommend checking 
the product literature, what's on the box, the photos, everything to see if there's copyright violations, because this is not an unusual thing. Yeah, that's a that's a great tip, I think. And <laughs> to be honest with you, most of Amazon sellers are sourcing, not all of them, a lot of them, you know, have products here that are sourced here in the US, but a lot of them have products that are sourced outside of the country. And I don't think most people realize that the intellectual property laws apply differently in different countries. So particularly if you're sourcing something in another country, you need to make sure that you're your ducks are in a row with the intellectual property. You, you don't want to be caught on the wrong side of something. Um, an example of that, again, just this week, I had somebody who, um, you know, they, they spent $200,000 on inventory and um, they never checked to see essentially if someone owned the patents for the product that they were selling. And so, you know, now the situation that we're in is, okay, what are our options now that we have um, all of this inventory and they've been delisted on Amazon and, and those types of things. So again, um, rule of thumb, start early, have somebody just talk to you about the things you should be considering because they're not always intuitive. And particularly like you were saying, um, factories in China, their expertise is in selling you things. Um, right. their expertise is not in letting you know, if it's safe to sell them or keeping them safe or that type of thing. Yeah, I've had the same thing. I've had clients shut down because they bought um, inventory on Alibaba or from an Alibaba supplier that the molds were for a large brand in the United States. And yeah. I mean, and when you look at the products, it's not coincidence. I mean, you can even, you can see the shadow of the name on the mold. It's obviously wow. stolen or handed off or from the same factory or whatever. Right. And he, the clients are told, well, you know, this is unbranded. This is just generic product. And, and it's yep. not, so yep. <laughs> it's a, uh, it is smart to do some extra research and not just assume that what you're buying is okay. If it's not at your direction, if it's yes. not being manufactured at your direction, y'all, they don't, it's their laws are different and their thinking is different because they don't have the structure, the IP law structure that we have here. So over there, they're not even doing anything wrong in their eyes. It's how, it's how a lot of businesses operate. Um, so it's culturally, it's so different. I think it's hard for people here to wrap their mind around it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, going, speaking, to trademarks on that particular issue, you know, if you're sourcing in another country, you have to think about getting trademark registration in that country because mm -hmm. the worst case scenario, which, you know, any intellectual property attorney has dealt with has at least a handful of these stories are that somebody else registers the brand in the country that you're sourcing it in. And then they basically hold you hostage. I mean, a brand rights owner in China can call their customs and say, don't let any of this product out of the country because I own the brand for it. I own the trademark rights. And so, you know, and a lot of a lot of uh, Chinese consumers or, or persons actually walk the aisles. You know, there there's like a Costco in Korea, you know, and I haven't been to Korea, but there is a lot of American um, goods sold in these countries and people will actually pick them up and do a trademark search in that country to see if it's owned. And if it's not owned, they'll go file for it. And 
you know, there are untold stories of people holding brand owners or, or sorry, American companies hostage uh, by owning their brands in other countries. So that's another reason to be vigilant. Wow. Learn something new every day. You know, I always say our job never gets boring because some of these black hat tactic bad guys in the Amazon world, they come up with new strategies every month that we're like, oh my goodness. I never would have thought of that. I'm sure that your line of work is the same way where you're like, I never even thought of that way to be evil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a really competitive world. And, uh, you know, if you're selling stuff on Amazon, you already know that and mm -hmm. know that, you know, you have to be, you have to be good at your game. You can't go out there and play with Michael Jordan. If, you know, you're a five, eight white guy like me, right. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta work a lot harder, you know, if you want to play at the highest levels. And so, um, I think that's a lot of what we spend our time doing is helping companies understand what their options are, what they need to look out for and sort of what they need to map as far as a strategy to gain more market share on, on platforms like Amazon. So let's talk a little bit about the flip side the sellers out there who receive IP claims through the Amazon system, seller performance sends out to them or brand registry sends out to them because someone complains who's allegedly the rights owner. So for the, for this conversation, let's assume that the complaints are actually from the rights owner and not fake complaints. Cause that's a whole different ball of wax. Mm -hmm. That's really not fun to deal with, <laughs> but for, <laughs> You know, the, how they even game that system to pretend to be the brand registered owner is beyond me. But the uh, for the ones who actually own the intellectual property, they file the claim against you. Um, you know, Amazon isn't going to play ball in this situation. They want the two parties to work it out. And so you contact the rights owner and they don't respond to you at all. Is there anything that you can do? That's what Lauren is asking me is if you receive one of these hostile IP warnings or fake one, you know, like where you're selling legitimate product and they're saying it's counterfeit, for example, and you got it from a wholesaler um, and and they won't they won't respond to you. Is there anything that that the, the seller can do? Yeah, I, my experience is that and it's the reason why I have a job or I wouldn't have a job, um, but people lay people have a hard time understanding where rights begin and where they end. They're not certain of how all of these claims work and mm -hmm. what the possible defenses to these claims might be or what the holes in the claims might be. And so in my opinion, um, you know, if you get something that's thorny and you're not, you're not able to fix it, that might be the time to reach out to an intellectual property attorney. Um, you know, lots of things can be negotiated. And my experience is um, a lot of new buyers will sort of approach things in a very friendly way with the people that filed complaints against them, right? They'll say, you know, you delisted me. I'm so sorry. What can I do to make you happy? And the person who filed the complaint is on the other end going, well, I got what I wanted, which right. is you're not on the platform anymore end of story. You know, we're not, we're not doing any more favors for you. And so in that particular situation, a lot of the time you're not going to be able to reach resolution with the person that filed the complaint, but your best bet is against Amazon. And if Amazon gets the sense that you're in the weeds, you don't really understand where the rights begin and the rights end. Mm 
then they're more likely to defer to the person that filed the complaint. But if you have some strong arguments or strong defenses that you can state really succinctly, and this is, I guess, you know, maybe where your space and my space overlap a little bit, I've been able to get traction oftentimes by telling people, I'm an attorney, I represent the seller, you know, here are the legal issues, um, you know, this is going to be a problem if we don't get our listing back up and, you know, we can get significant traction with Amazon. Um, if we can't get traction with Amazon, then lots of times there are things you can do to sort of um, increase your leverage against the person that has filed the complaint. A lot of the companies that file complaints, um, what one of the things they're considering is how small is the person that I'm filing a complaint against. And if they're very small, one of the big bets is that, well, our argument might have a 5% chance of winning in court, but we're betting that this person's too small to get help or know what they're doing to fight back. And so those are situations where I think, you know, that's my sweet spot where I try to insert myself and, you know, really generate some leverage against people to show, you know, we might be small, we might be a challenger brand or whatever, but we're scrappy and you can't bully us around. Yeah, you know, I I really see both sides, and and just like you you play both sides on this. You know, the, with some people you're working with the sellers, and sometimes you're working with the brands. And same thing for us. Um, and we care about both sides, and we're interested in what's right and helping the people who are on the side of the angels, right? So don't get me wrong. Um, I I understand there's there's a lot of merit in both sides, but I got to tell you, there are a lot of rights out owners out there who are just bullies. They're sure. just, they're flat out bullies. And it's exactly what you said. If you are small, they think I'm just going to scare you with this letter. And even if you're selling something that you got from a wholesaler or distributor we work with, uh, we don't care. We don't want it on Amazon. I don't care if you're selling it in brand new condition. I could care less. I want you off the listing. So I'm just going to scare you with this giant law firm or with a really frightening letter where I'm demanding things like, I want to know where you got your inventory and how much you paid for it. So yeah, if, how many if, units you've sold. <laughs> right. So when you get that kind of a letter demanding all the details, I'm assuming it's not necessarily a good thing to comply and send them everything about your business. I've always thought that they're setting you up for a lawsuit if they're asking for that level of detail. Am I wrong on that? Or I don't know. Yeah, I think you're going to get my attorney perspective on this, which is obviously, you know, if somebody asks me a bunch of questions, I'm going to ask them a bunch of questions, you know, like prove to me that your <laughs> rights are where, where you say they are. Show me the chain of title for your trademark registration, you know, or patent. Or, or whatever. So, you know, I, I would never hand over commercially sensitive information, especially out of the gate. That's not going to help you. Um, it's going to help your competitor. And so I think um, sometimes these things uh, are better looked at through the perspective of this is competition. And, mm -hmm. you know, everybody competes at some level or another. And everybody negotiates at some level or another. And so, you know, when you get something that's really scary like this, rather than um, thinking about it in terms of wrong and right, I think it's, you know, finding out where the law sits and then what your options are. And a lot of times, you know, you're defending yourself and, and not letting yourself be bullied and standing up for yourself. But even if you have done, you know, something wrong and a lot of time, people do things inadvertently wrong, I think it's totally okay to negotiate, 
you know, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't know this was what's going on, but I need some things to, to you know, work with you. And in terms of intellectual property right violations, even if you have no defense arguments, you know, I typically help people get um, things that are favorable to their business or to the situation, at least like phase out periods, sell off periods. You know, I have right. six more months to sell off my remaining inventory. Sometimes I work with the other side to come up with an alternative product design or an alternative brand that would be acceptable to them so it doesn't turn into a lawsuit. So there's lots of things that can be done even if you know, you're, you're fully in violation of an intellectual property law. Yeah, we've um, we've actually done similar. It's interesting the crossover. Um, we've done similar with demands before, where um, we've helped negotiate. Can you just let us sell through our inventory? You know, because right. I've had I've had sellers who really don't care if they can't sell that brand or that product or whatever long term because they've got 200 ASINs that they're actively selling or a thousand ASINs, um, but they've got a lot of money sunk into that product. So sometimes if you'll say, look, I'll follow your map pricing. You give me this many months. Let me get it out the door. Um, they're not interested. You know, that company, if you show that you're tough enough to negotiate exactly what you said, if you show you are tough enough to negotiate, they're not interested in you coming after them for shutting down, shutting down your business. Um, which, interestingly, there are not a heck of a lot of test cases yet. And so I think that these brand owners, they don't know where the law is going to fall on that kind of stuff. If you say, you know, you you intentionally interfered my business, um, it's tortious interference. You know, there's all these wonderful things that I think have yet to be tested in court. And no one wants to be the test case. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much human behavior, even in sales. And so I think um, it, it's really helpful. You know, I, I strongly believe in the golden rule, you know, to do, do to other people what you would want to have done to you. But also, I understand that we can't live in a world where if you appear weak, you know, you're probably going to be a target for bullies, unfortunately, because that's what they're going to be looking for. You know, bullies kind of look for the weaker side of things. And so a big part of the enjoyment I get out of my um, job, I think, is helping challenger brands. I, I, I do a lot of work for companies that I would not say are the biggest in their industry, but that are very significant in their industry. They're increasing their market share. You know, they're scrappy. They're making things happen. And I really love um, helping those types of people move their business forward because um, it, business, you know, and like Amazon, it's all a big ecosystem. And I think that uh, in the end, if we're all doing our best, we're all helping each other to move to a higher level. Well, and I tell you, all of our listeners out there, um, there are times when you may have reached out to the rights owner and it doesn't work. You might use a company like mine, and we've got a lot of different types of letters that we've used that have prompted a response from a silent rights owner. Um, we have some strategies. We're not attorneys, but we have some strategies that we've used that sometimes get people to talk back because they realize there's a risk in not talking back. But mm -hmm. sometimes what it takes is it takes an email from someone with letterhead that it has a law firm. And then magically, you're going to get an answer. It's like all of a sudden they're like, oh, goodness, maybe we should write back to this person that we've taken down their ASIN or their entire selling account. You know, it's it's fascinating how that works. 
Well, that's very generous. I'm glad you think that way. It makes me think that maybe some of what I paid for my legal education has because <laughs> it costs a lot. It's it's really interesting because we do have some companies that we've gotten great traction with that um, that we've actually been very surprised because we know that they're the types we talked about earlier who are um, bulldogs with their brands and that we've been shocked that you know, like we, we've gotten responses from Lego's legal department, which you're not supposed to be able to get. And it's very exciting that we've gotten responses and helped our clients with that. But then there's sometimes that we've used all the different, we've got like the friendly letter and then we've got the semi-friendly and then we move over into the more threatening and we've got, you know, we've got our continuum of, our continuum of communications uh, and we gauge which one we think is going to work for, for the situation. Um, and, but, and, and we get good response rate, but then sometimes, you know, it just, it really does take a lawyer because I think when a lawyer writes that, especially at midsize and larger companies internally, there's a directive. If you hear from a lawyer, you take it to legal, you don't handle it yourself anymore. And so legal responds legal doesn't stay quiet legal does things that's how they get paid yeah well i hope <laughs> i my theory of why that might work is that again you know some of these things some of the boundaries in intellectual property law or really any law are, are a little bit difficult and they're kind of sketchy to um to bright line for for lack of a better term and so i feel like you know if to the extent companies can at least access that resource early on when they're developing their strategies, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid of, you know, getting on the hook with an attorney and getting billed for every five minutes, like you were saying over and over and over. And it's like this out of control thing. But instead of thinking of it that way, a lot of the way that we're set up is again, with flat rates, we use a lot of flat rates. We use a lot of no cost for consultation because we want to incentivize people to talk to us and understand what the options are as early as they can. Um, to the extent they can do that and and know that that's an option without losing their shirt, then then these types of things can largely be avoided and they won't be as much of a surprise to people. Inevitably, there will be conflicts as you rub rub elbows with people uh, in business, but it's just a lot easier when those aren't huge surprises. If you kind of know what the risks are, you know how to manage them and you're forming some strategies uh, ahead of time. If nothing else, that that's a great comfort as you move forward into certain market segments. Well, and you know what? The one thing I've told a lot of our clients is the more successful you are, especially if you're a brand owner and you have a private label product, the more successful you are, you know, start budgeting for these things. You've got to start budgeting for help with takedowns. You've got to start budgeting for um, help with seller performance because the more volume you do, the more complaints you're going to get just as a fact, just math, basic math. And then the more successful you are, the more black hat tactics are going to be used against you and the more knockoffs you're going to have because someone is going to see, oh my goodness, look at the amazing volume they're doing with this product. I should sell one just like it. That's a counterfeit from China. And so <laughs> when you're successful, you've, you've got to plan that you're going to set aside budget and have resources and people available to help you because success breeds challenges. It, it's, it's a magnet for trouble because there are other people who are going to say, I want some of that. Right. So. That's exactly the, I think 
you and I feel the same about the process that a business startup goes through. You know, everybody understands the lean startup. Um, but on the flip side, I've never had somebody come back to me and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have spent money on that patent, or I wish I wouldn't have spent money protecting my brand on the, you know, I guess the, the reverse of that is that I have people regularly who come to me after they've succeeded and said, man, I, I can't believe that I didn't file a patent for that product because now there's 10 knockoffs on Amazon or can't believe that I didn't clear, you know, do the due diligence and do some searching, have an expert search my brand before I move forward with it, because now I have to rebrand. I put mm -hmm. like three years of effort into my brand. And now I find out that it's a huge risk and, and have to do it. So um, again, going back to that basic rule of think about it early, explore it early, and you can always manage your costs moving forward. Excellent advice. That is fantastic. Um, well, I really appreciate you joining me here today and answering these questions. I hope we can do this again because I have like three other IP topics in mind that we could talk about in the Great. future. Um, good, because seriously, we get, I mean, every day. And IP on Amazon is ever changing. It is very difficult to deal with. It's one of the more challenging appeal types and issues for our clients. So, and that's not going to change anytime soon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I think you, you're in the same space and, and you have great questions and great experience. So I'd love to jazz. Love that to would be whenever, whenever you want to. Thank you. And so everyone watching, thank you for joining us today. You know my spiel. Please be sure and like our page if you haven't already so you can see our content as it's posted. Please share our videos with your Amazon friends. And remember now, um, our marketing maven Tina has got our content up on podcast apps. So whatever your podcatcher is, uh, if you just plug in Riverbend Consulting, it'll pop up and you can be notified as we push out new content. So thanks, everyone. Everyone stay safe out there.